0: Hi, I'm Tiffany Patlin, host of the Tiffany Talks Health and Wellness Podcast, where I discuss tools, tips, and techniques to heal your mind, body, and soul. I am on a godly mission to heal the world. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us today. I have um, Cheryl Johnson with us. She is a mental health advocate with years of experience with mental health challenges, along with family members who have experienced similar challenges. She has volunteered to teach classes that educate and empower families to deal with challenges so they can lead healthy and productive lives. Thank you, Cheryl, for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, you bet. This is a very, very important topic and it's very near and dear to my heart. So I just love and appreciate this type of work that you're doing. I think more and more people um, need to focus more on their mental health. It just makes the world a better place, uh, you know, because we all could benefit from it, just like our, you know, physical health. Everybody Mm -hmm. knows that you got to eat healthy and exercise, right? But our mind, our mind really needs to be healthy as well. So If you would, please share with us how it is that you got into this or what's your backstory? What led up to all this for you?
1: Um, probably when I was in high school, I started, you know, realizing that, you know, I I was struggling, but that was clear back in the seventies. That was a long time ago. And, you know, mental health was like, that wasn't even a word. Anybody like mental health? What's that? Um. And so I kind of brushed it off and I didn't really get, you know, the help I need. And then I dealt with some struggles in my first marriage. Once again, not really realizing, you know, what some of my behaviors or whatever, you know, might indicate. And then I did foster care. And I think that was the first time I was introduced to the mental health world because the, you know, teenager that we were fostering had mental health challenges. So I was kind of introduced to it. but you know, she had severe issues, and you know, you talk about depression or bipolar. It's like, oh, th- those are things where people who live in a institution, they have those kind of issues. And so we dealt with her issues and and kind of moved on. and I suspected, you know that my ex-husband he um, had those issues, had some issues, and I not his mother or not his mother, sorry, sorry. <laughs> his aunt was actually um institutionalized so you know we suspected maybe there were some issues there um but and I'm sure they contributed to the demise of our marriage and then when we separated that's when I really started noticing that there was just something way off like I was for the five years prior to our separation I was literally working 14 16 hours a day had four kids you know, had our own business and I was running on probably four to five hours of sleep every single night and was like, Hey, I'm 30, 35 years old. And I've got the prime of my life, man. I have more energy than you can ever imagine. I don't need sleep. I don't need to eat. You know, I was like, this is great. You know, even after having four kids, this is wonderful. But then um, after I was separated. And I'm introduced to my now new husband. He's like, that's not normal. (laughs) And um, my one daughter, my second child, she was experiencing some issues. And I remember hearing on the radio one day, oh, there's these, you know, clinical trials. And if your child is experiencing these kind of issues, bring them in. So I brought them in and they put her on a medication, which, whoa went really far south and did some bad things. And so I was kind of like, that's not good. Um, But I also knew that she was really struggling. Um, I mean, at eight years old, she indicated that she wanted to kill herself, which isn't normal for an eight year old. (laughs) And um, she just like, she just get really frustrated. She was a high achiever. But, you know, like me, she didn't need a lot of sleep and she'd be she'd be up at three in the morning, not just vacuuming her bedroom, but she'd get the, you know, carpet cleaner out and be cleaning, driving her sister crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) What a clean bedroom. (laughs) I know. It was great in one aspect, but most of us wanted to sleep at 3 a.m. Not even me, believe it or not, wanted to sleep at 3 a.m. So that was kind of where it all started.
0: I'm wondering, um, would you be willing to share a little bit of the struggles that your daughter experienced on those medications? Because I'm wondering if our listeners might um, relate to that, and then maybe they can, you know, look into this if it's something similar that maybe they're experiencing with their children.
1: Yeah. And um, this was, keep in mind, this was back in the late 1990s, early 2000s there still wasn't a lot of information out there on children with mental health challenges. And with her, you know, she, besides just being obsessive and compulsive, you know, was one of her first diagnoses, and just driven, driven, driven. um, She went from that to literally I couldn't get her out of bed to go to school in the morning. I mean, literally just, you know, and this was so not her, that, you know, we were like, okay, whatever. So for six weeks, she didn't go to school. And then one day I couldn't even get her out of bed, period. And so we ended up, you know, picking her up out of bed and carrying her down to the, you know, place where they were doing clinical trials. And they're like, oh yeah, she didn't get a placebo. She got the real thing. (laughs) And her blood pressure was really low, um, like dangerously low. And so they immediately took her off the medication and, you know and that's kind of where that stopped for years. But I would really caution um parents who have children with mental health issues to be really careful. It you know, so many of these medications are made for adults and they have what they call black box warnings on them, you know, and can cause, you know, suicidal ideation and different things. So if I had it to do all over again, I think I would be much more cautious than I was at the time Um, with her. I'm not sure I would have done things different. Eventually we did get her on medications that stabilized her (laughs) and we laughed, you know, she went from being this highly driven, highly motivated, just, but very, very unhappy child Mm -hmm. to just happy go lucky. You know, her medications just made her happy. She never wanted to do anything, (laughs) but she was happy. So we were like, okay, we'll take happy, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And she was smart enough, and you know, gifted enough in school that she didn't have to put forth a lot of effort to get good grades. So you know, it was kind of like, eh. There was a trade-off there, but you know,
0: yeah. Every parent wants their child happy, and it's it's so hard. It's like, what do you do? What's the right thing to do? And you're willing to just try any avenue. But I agree with you. I'm glad you touched on that. To definitely be cautious, do your due diligence, research. Especially, you know, when we're putting something in our body, let alone our children's body, just to look, research those black box warnings. Just make sure you're aware and you know that way you also have like a backup plan. Right. So that way, if in, for any reason they experience those negative side effects, you know how to handle it, because I imagine you didn't really have anything. Like, how did you handle it? Like, you, I imagine you weren't knowledgeable because you didn't know. Right. You were like, ah, what do I do?
1: Well. Thank goodness um, the internet was just kind of coming, you know, <laughs> onto the uh, the public stage. And I, I'm just the kind of person naturally that does a lot of my own research. But I also was, after, you know, once we got her stabilized and on a good medication, it was because we had a phenomenal child, child psychiatrist. Mm. And those are really hard to come by. I mean, even today, it's really hard to find a child psychiatrist and if you do a lot of times you're on these extensive waiting lists so you you know they'll you'll go to your regular GP and they'll give you some medications in the interim you know just to kind of tide you over but if you don't really do your own research and find out what some of those you know symptoms may be from the black box warnings and not just black box warnings but you know it, okay my child wasn't doing this now they're taking this medication and they seem to be doing this and it's also really hard especially when they're teenagers because we all know teenagers are hormonal so you know <laughs> is this hormonal is this you know a brain chemistry issue it's so complicated
0: yeah it is so support is very very important definitely got to have that support so uh, again I, that's why I love that you advocate because a lot of people, even though we have the internet at our fingertips and mental health is widely known nowadays, there's still a lot of people that just simply don't have that type of support. And that's really important. Um, what are some ways that you advocate? I know you mentioned that you volunteer to teach classes. Is that something that you actively do right now?
1: I haven't taught classes for a while. Um, when my kids were younger, I was so much in, I mean, I had a my first divorce was really, really chaotic and stressful and all that kind of thing. And all, oddly enough, all four of my kids ended up getting diagnosed with some kind of mental health issue, in addition to me getting diagnosed with a mental health issue, all kind of at the same time. And everybody's like, how come all your kids have it and you have it? Well, yes, you know, I have learned that you can be genetically predisposed to having mental health issues. That doesn't mean that you're, you're going to the symptoms are going to manifest and you're going to, you know, experience um, symptoms. But, and this is just me talking. I am, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert, but I have had doctors kind of, you know, agree with me. We were under so much stress that this predisposition to, you know, having mental health issues really add that, all that stress and stress is always, always, always one of the biggest triggers um, caused all of them to, you know, have issues at the same time. So I had my kids in therapy. I had some of them on medication, others not on medication. We tried medication, you know, it was just, and I was going through my own medication journey and, you know, trying to get myself stable. So life was really, really hard. And once my kids got older, and I was in a better position to deal with my own issues, and my kids were stabilized and kind of out on their own, I decided, hey, you know, um, obviously, I have a lot of experience in this area, firsthand, not a medical professional, but firsthand experience. So, you know, most people who deal with mental health issues are familiar with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And I started working with them. And um, I really struggled. I couldn't do support groups. They th- Those were kind of a trigger for me because everybody was so emotional. Mm. And then I would get really emotional and I'm like, whoa, this is not a good thing. So I also um, am an instructional designer. That's my career. And I'm very much into ed- education. So I took the NAMI educational route and I would teach what we call family to family classes. They're 12 week classes where once a week, I would meet with family members who had children who had mental health issues, or adult children, I should, say, or loved ones. It could be your sister, your brother, you know, whatever. And then I also taught what they call NAMI Basics, was for parents of young children who had mental health issues, and just educating them on, hey, this is not a behavior issue; the behaviors are symptoms of chemical imbalances in your brain and once people kind of you know it registered like oh okay this isn't just my loved one behaving bizarrely (laughs) you know there is actually something going on it it was such a you could just see it wash over them this huge relief like oh okay I, I I can handle this I felt so bad for so many of these parents they a lot of them would come in especially in the you know with the adult loved ones and it would be like my child was so highly successful they were on their way to you know being a medical doctor or one was a professional golfer or you know all these things and then they went off to college and just fell apart Hmm. and the family members would be like oh my gosh they you know they were doing so good what you know and it is not at all uncommon for people who are extremely gifted to also come with some challenges, you know? So, you know, it, it was, and we always started our 12 week, six week session with this story. And I, I, I'm going to totally paraphrase this, but you know, it's, it was all about, you know, you get on a plane and you're all excited and you think you're going to Italy and you, you know, you've got out your little travel book and you've, made all these plans and, you know, you're gonna go visit all these, you know, artistic sites and all eat all this wonderful food and you're gonna go to Rome and you're gonna visit all these places. And then halfway through the flight, somebody comes and says, oh, you're going to Amsterdam. And you're like, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not prepared for Amsterdam. (laughs) You know, I didn't, you know, and and I don't really want to go to Amsterdam. I want to go to Italy. Why am I going to Amsterdam? And, you know, but once you get into Amsterdam, you're kind of like, oh, you know, there's lots of pretty tulips and there's lots of things to see in Amsterdam and do in Amsterdam. It's not Italy, but, you know, it's Amsterdam. And um, I think that that helped people recognize that, you know, just like when somebody dies, you mourn the loss of that person. Well, a lot of times, you know, your child or whoever that you raised and was so successful in doing all these wonderful things and going to Italy, and all of a sudden they get, you know, (laughs) diverted over to Amsterdam, there's a mourning period. And it's hard for people to accept the fact that, you know, things aren't going according to plan. And you didn't really want to go to Amsterdam. So we help people get through the grieving process, we help them understand a lot of education about, you know, the chemical aspects of all this in your brain, and just you know, how to communicate with your child who may be experiencing significant... (laughs) Because sometimes, I always tell people, you know, and this is just generally good advice for having a conversation with your spouse or your child or anybody, but especially with somebody who has a mental health issue, they get in these arguments and they just argue and argue and argue. And I'm like, okay, why are you arguing with a drunk? Would you argue with a drunk person? Well, no, of course not, because they're so... And I'm like, it's the same thing. When somebody's having an episode and they're symptomatic, just think of them like a drunk person. Why would you argue with them? Wait until things calm down. Wait until, you know, they can be in a rational frame of mind if possible, you know, depending on the severity of their issues, and then have a conversation with them, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense because they're irrational If they're not, you know, calm Mm -hmm. and willing to listen. That reminds me of a quote that I had heard. Uh, People are uh, unwilling to listen to a message. They're not ready to hear. I'm probably totally butchering it, but that's exactly Mm -hmm. what that reminds me of. Um, I did want to ask you, though, how do you feel trauma plays a part in mental health?
1: Well, it's interesting because there there is so much trauma that can cause what, I'm not a doctor, please let me preface everything with I'm not a doctor. Uh, This is just based on my experience and dealing with a lot of people who had mental health issues. A lot of times I think people who may not have been predisposed to having a mental health issue experience trauma. And that trauma can, I believe, change the chemical makeup of their brain. And cause them, you know, just like people go off to war and they might have been, and I use quote, normal before they went over, you know, to war. And then they come home and then they're experiencing all of these issues. Maybe some children who were born normal, you know, experience abuse growing up and that can cause them to have issues. And I think one of this makes me also think of (laughs) some of the most difficult things is getting an accurate diagnosis. Because number one, for so long, it was all just sit down, tell me about your symptoms, and then I'll make a diagnosis and give you some medication and move on. Well, number one, most people, if they've chosen to go to a doctor to begin with, only are going to tell the doctor what's going on today. And you only have 30 minutes. Sometimes a whole hour if you have a lot of money and you know, or insurance or something that can allow you to sit there. And you know, you don't always go in when you're symptomatic. And you don't always. It's kind of like, oh, I had a sore throat last week. What well, what did it feel like? Well, it wasn't really that bad. And your you know spouse is sitting next to you, going, No, you were you you couldn't get out of bed. You had a fever of 103, and you're like, Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> Good you know? point. So it's I don't blame doctors because it's really hard for them to get all the information they need. Now, fortunate, I was fortunate enough probably around 2010, 2012, in that time range to go get a brain scan and they they actually can do brain scans now. And, um, that really helps, you know, people get more accurate diagnosis, but even still you, you still run into, okay, now we've kind of figured it out. So, If I've had, I personally have what they call complex PTSD. So I didn't go to war. I didn't experience all that trauma, but I've had extreme stress over an extended period of time and a lot of um, really challenging relationships. And so I have a slightly different PTSD, whatever you want to call it, than somebody else. Somebody else may have PTSD and it's for a totally different reason. And what medication may work for me and my situation will not work for somebody else. And they also have blood tests and things you can do now that will help you. Um, A doctor will look at that and go, "Okay, we know that these kind of medications probably aren't going to work for you. Um, It's. It's just so challenging because a lot of people, and this is really, really important, you know, they'll go to a doctor, they'll get a medication and it will make them worse, a lot worse. And they're like, whoa, I'm done. I'm not doing any, you know, that's bad. So So, I imagine
0: keeping like a diary when you start to take a new medication, make sure you take a diary, right? So that way you can write down everything that's Mm -hmm. going on, because that was a good point. In that moment, you might feel like, heck, like hell, and then the day of when you finally have your appointment, like you said, like you don't really remember because you're not in that present moment and where you're not feeling well. So I think a diary would be super helpful with that. Um, definitely. And if
1: you as an individual don't keep a diary, I encourage loved ones and parents to keep a diary for somebody else. That's a good point. Yes. I love that tip. Yes. Because
0: mm-hmm. there's a different perspective, too. You might feel a certain way. As well, but then when other people look at you, they see things differently than what you do. I ask my husband stuff a lot. That's <laughs> so funny because yeah. I recently mm-hmm. went to um, go get allergy testing, and um, I make sure my husband comes and I ask him, "Did I leave anything out?" Because I want to make sure. Because you know, they're the outside person mm-hmm. looking in. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. It's, a, it's very helpful. That was that's a very good tip. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to know a little bit more about the brain scan. So you did a brain scan for yourself.
1: Yes, I did. Um, I did two different kinds. One was actually a, a brain scan. And, and it's it's interesting because the results, it looks like your brain is like Swiss cheese. Like you have all these holes in it. You know, it's like, no, my, that's not really what my brain looks like. What that means is all those places where there's holes, a, a healthy brain won't have all those holes. But the one that has these holes, are that just means there's no blood flow going to that particular part of the brain. Well, obviously, if there's no blood flow, then there's you'll know that, you know, if it's not going there, you could have this issue. The other one that I found really interesting for me in particular was another kind where they put all these little electrodes on your head, you know. And then they literally turned on the calmest music and they let me look at beautiful scenery for like 30 minutes. And when they were done, they came back and they, they showed me my brain and it said, OK, anywhere where there's red means your brain is just like firing like crazy. Right. And despite the nice, calm music and the nice scenery, like thought my whole front of my brain was just on fire. It was all red. So even in my most calm states, I live in this heightened you know, (laughs) I'm, I'm just like, my brain's firing all the time.
0: So is that, what is it meant to be? Like, how how is it meant to be uh, in comparison to that?
1: Uh, Most people, like said, in this particular test, my brain should be blue Uh, The you know, not that my brain is really blue, but in, in the, it, it shouldn't have all this red. And what that means is it can mean a lot of things, but in my case, what it meant was my brain, and it's true, my brain is on fire all the time. It means I'm constantly thinking. I have a hard time slowing down. One of the ways my husband tells me this manifests, and it's very true, is don't argue with me. Because <laughs> if you argue with me, it will take me, as depending on the you know intensity of the argument, and it doesn't even have to be an angry argument, but it'll take me like a week For my brain to calm down. Oh wow. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, I've we've learned because he comes from a family of, you know, they they like to fight and they argue and they get over it and move on. And he was like having the hardest time with me because he's like, can't you just get over it and move on? I'm like, no, I can't, you don't understand. You know, and I have to do all kinds of meditation and and I don't like to take nobody likes to take medication, but you know, I can take a lot of medication to help my brain slow down. I prefer not to because there's side effects and a downside. And when I was in in an acute state and I I did need medication, I did have to take, you know, Xanax and things to help my brain slow down. But now I prefer to do meditation because I've got and that's what I tell people when people are in in an acute stage, get them to an emergency room, go get help, do whatever the doctor tells you. Once you get them in a kind of a steady state and they're on medications that are helping them, then I think therapies and all these self, you know, like meditation and all kinds of things are helpful. But it's it's like when you get in a car wreck and you're just bleeding, you know, like crazy, you stop the bleeding. Once you stop the bleeding, then you can go in and say, okay, now let's go find out where all the damage is and what we can do to fix it all.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um, I, you did mention about your children that some of them were on medication and some of them weren't. Did you notice that there were certain things that they did that maybe helped them, whereas they didn't need medication?
1: Well, once again, I, I, they went on medication to kind of get them into a steady state. Mm -hmm. And my one daughter to this day, she's in therapy and she's, you know, married and got a five-year-old and, and things. And, um she still goes to therapy, you know, she's, she's been through a divorce and it was, you know, there was a huge custody battle and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and you know, now she's in a new relationship and, you know, she's got a stepchild and she's like, I just, I need, I need help. I, I need somebody to talk to. I need strategy. I I don't know how to navigate this blended family. I, I don't know how to deal with all of them because she was getting like mouth sores and all kinds of really, She was having physical symptoms from all the stress of the custody battles and everything. And so her therapist, rather than, you know, upper medication, was just like, here, let's try these therapies, these, you know, things. My other daughter, both, actually, both my daughters have been in therapy for quite some time. Um, Both my sons, they're kind of hit and miss.
0: (laughs) Sometimes I think it's just a man thing, you know, some of them aren't, mm-hmm. you know, too keen on the whole idea of therapy, but there shouldn't be any shame around that. I think whether it's a friend or a mentor or a therapist, psychologist, whatever it is, every single one of us needs yeah. support. We need support. The title of that person does not matter. We all need that. I mean, like you mentioned your daughter, she's never, she's never experienced being in a blended family like that. So of Mm -hmm. course you're going to need support. You know, does that have any negative connotation to it? No, it shouldn't. It's just, it's no different than a kid who's learning a new subject. They don't know they need a teacher. They need support. So, um, I love that you're sharing how open, Mm -hmm. you know, how open you've been about that because everybody needs support. Never be ashamed. If anybody out there is, second guessing or wondering if they should get help, by all means, go do that, you know, and, and Cheryl's here, she's, you're able to reach out to her via email. I'll make sure I put that up right there. You'll see her email. And you know, I'm always available to help people out with anything because we all need help. So Cheryl, before we let you go today, do you have any last words for our listeners out there?
1: I think kind of what you've said, you know, if and you've heard this said before and i'm sure you know if you had diabetes would you not go to a doctor and get help and, and take insulin every day if you needed to you know why why there is shame, so much shame associated with a chemical condition or even sometimes it's hormonal hormonal mm-hmm. issues as we all know can make us have behavioral issues as well so don't be ashamed it's just a medical condition go Talk to whatever professional that can give you the help that you need. Um, Do what you need to do because life, you know, like my daughter says, she says she lived in this, what she called this thymic state for so long. She was just mildly depressed. And she says, once I got the help that I needed, I'm happy. I can face the challenges I have. Why? Why didn't I do this? And one very last short note is my husband will also tell you that the tool that you know if you believe in god your higher power whatever the tool that god gave you to help you um think critically about these things and make decisions is your brain and it's not working Mm. so sometimes you need to listen to somebody else whose brain is in a better frame of mind at the moment and listen to them and say hey Maybe, you know, maybe you're right. I do need to go get help.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for coming on. And thank you to all your listeners. Be sure to reach out to um, Cheryl. Her email's down below. And we'll have all her other contact information in the show notes. Um, and um, thank you. Just thank you so much. This was amazing. And I just wish you a very
1: good day. Well, thank you for letting me share my story. <laughs> you bet. Have a good one. Bye,
0: everybody. We'll see you on the next episode.
1: Bye-bye.